The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. This is the scripture for today, 2 Corinthians 7 through 12. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. This is the word of the Lord. As we all know, today is a special day. We're returning to to one service, and I don't know about you, but... I feel like I will never take this for granted. I feel like I will never take this for granted. And if I do, I pray that God would remind me of the season that we have been through. It is a gift and it is a privilege to gather together and worship Jesus. (laughs) Is it not? It is. But we've said that today is also a special day because we're celebrating 10 years of the Haves being called to Shades Valley. And I have been tasked with the sermon for this, this morning. And so I, I think there are a few uh, paths for the preacher to avoid. Um, one is it turning into a uh, best man speech. And the second is for it to turn into a eulogy. Jonathan's not getting married He's not retiring, and as of this moment, he's not dead. Uh, So what is my goal this morning? Well, my goal is twofold. First, uh, Jonathan and Holly, I want to encourage you in the call and the ministry that God has given you. And then secondly, Shades Valley. I want to encourage you in the call, in the ministry that God has given you. Because, don't be fooled, God has called each of us this morning to the work of ministry, not just Jonathan. Right? So think, think Ephesians 4, where Paul says that God gives people gifts to the church, apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and they're to do what? They're to equip the saints for, what's he say? For the work of ministry. When I introduced my wife Jordan to my legendary preaching professor, Dr. Robert Smith Jr., I said, Dr. Smith, this is Jordan. She's a speech pathologist. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, a speech pathologist. Wow. Wow. What a ministry. What a ministry. And I don't know why, but but that has always stuck with me. That has always stayed with me because it's true. I, I think as we get into the day in and the day out grind of life, 
We can be fooled into thinking that only particular people have a call. Only particular people have a ministry. But this would be to go against the vision that we see all over the New Testament. The Scriptures know nothing of consumers. The Scriptures know nothing of bench warmers when it comes to the kingdom of God. Each of us in this room have a call. Each of us in this room have a ministry. So I want us to feel the weight of that. I want us to be reminded of that this morning, right? And so with kind of looking at that afresh, that we've all been given a ministry, that we all have a call, I want us to look at 2 Corinthians verses 7 through 12 in chapter 4 together. And my prayer in doing so is that we would be encouraged and that God would strengthen us to endure in the work that he has for each of us because he does have a work for each of us. Okay, so there are three things that I want to draw our attention to that are going on in this passage. There's so many things going on. It's such a, a, a rich text. But there are three things that I want to draw our attention to this morning. First is that the ministry that God gives you will have a way of exposing your weaknesses. The ministry that God gives you will have a way of exposing your weakness. Look at verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. This treasure in jars of clay. A while back, my wife and I got into a huge fight over a plant pot. Yes. Um, She told me to watch our new puppy while she was doing some meal prep. And so I said, totally. And then I went back to watching TV. And a few moments later, I heard a crash in the kitchen, and panic ensue. Um, our, our little dog, Oxford, who's a, a toy mini golden doodle, we got him for hunting purposes. <laughs> um, he, he had it pulled down the plant that was on the counter, and the uh, vase that it was in, the, the pot that it was in, uh, crashed into a million pieces all over the floor, and apparently this pot was my wife's favorite pot, and apparently Target decided no longer to make it. <laughs> so naturally, I felt like somebody else was to blame for this. So first, I blamed the dog, and then I blamed the pot uh, for not being able to withstand the fall, right? Um, my wife had a different interpretation of the events. Right before this verse, right, in in the verses preceding what we've read, Paul has has been talking about the beauty and the glory of the gospel that's been revealed to him. And he's talking about his call to be a minister of this, this glorious gospel. And right after talking about the beauty and the glory and the grandeur of the gospel that he's been called to, he goes to what in this verse? Um, the fragility of a clay pot. 
a fragility that I know all too well. A, a point, uh, the point, a clay pot is a fragile and an ordinary vessel for such a priceless treasure. All right? um, Paul is an ordinary vessel to carry such a glorious gospel. And if you kind of take a step back from this verse and you look at 2 Corinthians as a whole, you'll see that Paul goes into great detail to convince his uh, readers of, of what? Of his weakness. Um, he gives a defense of his ministry, and, and, and what does he, he do? He appeals to his weakness. It would be like Jonathan today getting up and giving a defense of his pastoral ministry and then just listing all of his weaknesses. That would be a little odd, right? Um, but while there's some difference, this is essentially what Paul is doing in, in 2 Corinthians. Uh, one New Testament scholar in commenting about uh, 2 Corinthians says that, that Paul's obsession in this letter is with how unimpressive he is. It's a recurring theme. Paul trying to convince us <laughs> of his weakness. It's crazy. And I think just to be clear, within Paul's culture, uh, this is not a humble brag. Right? Uh, this is not kind of an aw shucks moment by Paul to earn sympathy. This is not him sitting in self-pity and looking for compliments. Uh, this is not him seeking out suffering uh, to try and make God look bigger or better. No, that's not what's going on in 2 Corinthians. What's, what's going on in 2 Corinthians? Paul is being soberly realistic about his own weakness. I like that word. Soberly realistic about his human frailty and about how the ministry that God has given him has just pushed that to the forefront. Um, as you do the work that God has called you to, you will become painfully aware of your weaknesses. Your, your physical weakness will be placed before you. Your psychological weakness will be placed before you. Your, your social weaknesses will be placed before you. And this is what's really hard to swallow. And it's that your weaknesses will not only be placed before you, but your weaknesses will be placed before others. Uh, in some shape or form, the ministry that God gives us is all a public ministry. <laughs> it's all so that the church may be built up. It's all so that the world that may know that Jesus is Lord. It's a ministry that's done in front of other people. And, and this is hard because we spend so much of our life trying to convince others, whether it be parents, whether it be friends, whether it be coworkers or employers, or, or whatever, we, we spend so much of our life trying to convince others how strong we are, all right? How capable we are, how, how impressive. And in the midst of this futile task of trying to convince others of our strength and, and how awesome we are, we get thrown into a ministry that God gives us that just exposes our weakness, that just lays it bare 
before others. And this is a hard place to be. And yet this is the reality of ministry. And when this happens, when your weakness is not only laid before you and you really see it, right? But when your weakness is also laid before others and you're aware of that, and maybe others don't handle that well, right? Um, hard questions start to come in. Um, what does my weakness mean for the ministry that God has called me to? Does it mean that I should quit? Does it mean that I'm unfit? Does it mean that God regrets his decision? Does it mean that this has all been pointless, everything that I've been doing? Enough? Paul. What does it mean for Paul? Um, for Paul, this weakness on display means that the power of the triune God will be seen by all. For Paul, this weakness on display means that the power of the triune God will be seen by all. For Paul, his human frailty, his weakness, is simply a means for the power of God to be revealed. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. In the ministry that God gives you, your weakness, right? Your weakness exposed to you and your weakness exposed to others is an opportunity for God's power to be shown to the world. It does not mean that you are unfit. It does not mean that nothing is happening. It does not mean that it's pointless. But for Paul, this, this vision, this perspective, it's what? It's an article of faith, <laughs> right? It's not seen. Ministry will have a way of exposing your weaknesses, but this is just an opportunity for the power of God to be revealed. Okay, number two. Number two, the second thing I want us to see in these verses The ministry that God gives you, the ministry that God gives you will push you to your limits. The ministry that God gives you, the calling he has placed on your life, will push you to your limits. Look at verses 8 and 9. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. So in chapter 11 in 2 Corinthians, Paul gives this list, this list of all these insane experiences that totally threatened to end his ministry, right? And, and you read it and it's insane. He's beaten with rods, stoned, shipwrecked, adrift at sea, danger from rivers, robbers, Gentiles, his own people, and false brothers. He faced danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at the sea. He experienced sleepless nights, hunger, thirst in the cold with no shelter. And I love that he lists this at the end. The daily pressure on me of my anxiety 
for all the churches. That might be heavier than everything else that he listed. The daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. What else is this if this is not someone who has been pushed to their physical, to their psychological, and to their relational limits? This is what the ministry that God gives us does. It pushes us to our limits. It pushes us to the end. You see, you don't need to be thrown in jail. You don't need to be abandoned at sea to identify with Paul here. Um, this is a weakness that we know all too well. It's a weakness that's experienced when ongoing problems seem to have no solution. When ongoing problems seem to have no solution. Has anybody been there in the past few years? When ongoing problems seem to have no solution. <laughs> when you are exhausted from being overworked with the demands that are placed on you. When a lack of results bears its weight on you and continues. And you see no results. No results. No results. How about this? When care and concern for people brings an emotional and therefore a physical exhaustion that won't let you out of bed in the morning. Right? Has anyone been in a place where you've said, I just want a job where I don't have to interact with people? I know that's every job, but is there any job that I don't have to interact with people? Right? I love what the New Testament scholar Richard Bauckham says as he reflects on these verses. He says that to be controlled by the love of Christ means inevitably to reach the limits of one's abilities. And man, this is good. It's to be weak because you are committed beyond a cautiously safe limit. It's to be weak because you are committed beyond a cautiously safe limit. When God calls you to ministry, He calls you to a work that's messy. That's the nature of the beast. That's, that's the reality. And He calls you to a work that you don't just look at from the sidelines, you don't just look at from a safe distance. It's a work that you are up close and personal with. It's a work that doesn't leave you unaffected. Right? It's a work that's beyond a cautiously safe limit. It's a work that's beyond the, the distance of a, a social media post. It's the work that's beyond an opinion with a group of friends that are like-minded. Right? It's a work that calls you into the mess of this world, into the complexity of this world, into the difficulty of this world and to the brokenness of this world. And it's a work that calls you to broken, hurt people and not to run from that and not to turn from that and not to say, I'm going to move to Alaska so I don't have to deal with this. It's a work that calls you to run into the mess, to run into the fire. It's absolutely insane. 
the work that God gives you will be a work that pushes you to your limits. But Paul has this list, right, that we read earlier. Uh, it's this list that is well known. And uh, what Paul reveals in this list is that the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus has completely changed how he views being pushed to his limits. The, the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus have, has completely changed his perspective on being pushed to his limits, right? I mean, this list is no doubt meant to draw our minds to Jesus and his death and resurrection, right? Um, afflicted, not crushed, perplexed, not driven to despair, persecuted, not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, right? Is this not describing Jesus and what God the Father did through the crucifixion and then through the resurrection, right? But now for Paul, this isn't just some abstract theology, it shapes how he views his entire experience. Um, because when Paul looks at the cross and he looks at the empty tomb, he sees a pattern through which he interprets his entire ministry. He sees a pattern through which he interprets his entire calling. The, these, this list shows these cross and resurrection moments that Paul has experienced. So Paul and his ministry, and get ready because this is the cycle of ministry He's pushed to the point where it's almost more than he can bear, where it feels like it's more than he can take. And then right when he's pushed to the end, the power of God's revealed. Um, And then that prepares him for what? To face more suffering. (laughs) To face more weakness. To face more frailty. And then what happens at that point? The resurrection power of God is revealed if you're looking for God to turn you into Superman or Superwoman to accomplish the task that He has for you, that ain't going to happen. It is this cycle of being pushed to your weakness, but then it's there in your weakness when the resurrection power of God is seen. We constantly assess our lives. We're constantly assessing our ministry why not do so through the death and resurrection of Jesus? Our thoughts go there anyway. For Paul, this is the pattern through which he makes sense of everything. And maybe as you do, maybe as that pattern begins to dominate your thoughts and your interpretation of what's happening around you, maybe something happens and maybe you see that you actually need to be pushed to your limits. You actually need your efficiency to fail. You actually need your strength to fail in order to know God all the more deeply. In order to know Him all the more deeply. The reality of ministry is that it will push you to your limits and the good news is that there, when you're at your end, that is when you will see Jesus. That is when you'll see Jesus. Okay. What's behind door number three? Third point. Third point. The ministry God gives you 
will be a means through which you will know Him more deeply. And it will be a means through which you will reveal Him to the world. The ministry God gives you will be a means through which you will know Him more deeply. Know Him more deeply. It means through which you will reveal Him to the world. Uh, you, you might have heard us reference a movie at Shades Before. It's a movie that I've referenced in a sermon. It's also a movie that we've done a Shades Midweek episode of, which I know you've all listened to. Um, the, the movie is A Hidden Life by Terrence Malick. And if you're not familiar with the movie at all, uh, the movie, it, it, it's... It, it is a beautiful piece of Christian art. And it continues to do its work in revealing the beauty of Jesus and the reality of being a disciple of him. Uh, but it, it's not a chick flick, okay? So, you know, Friday night, if you're looking to relax and watch a Sandra Bullock film, don't, don't go here, okay? But for purposes this morning, nothing against Sandra Bullock. I love her movies. Miss Congeniality, phenomenal. A hidden life. So, it's good for, for our purposes this morning. So, it, the movie's set in World War II in Austria, and the protagonist is an Austrian citizen named Franz. And Franz, by many standards, was not a remarkable man. He was a farmer in a small village with a beloved wife, three young girls, and he had aspirations to just live a quiet life um, but in the, the film, he hears what's happening in the war. The horrors. And he becomes certain that his Christian faith will not allow him to participate if he's called to active military service for the Nazis. He, he's called and, and he refuses. He's the only one in his town. Why? Well, because it would mean swearing loyalty to Hitler. So his conviction won't even allow him to serve in a hospital away from the action and, and harm because it would mean he would have to swear, swear loyalty to Hitler. And so he refuses, he's arrested, and then he suffers greatly in the film. And, and the thing that is kind of put before you throughout the entire movie is that if, if he would just work in a hospital, if he would just pledge his um, commitment to Hitler that none of this would happen. None of this would happen. He could avoid all this suffering. It would be so easy. So at the beginning of the film, right, uh, there's all these scenes, and in the background there's a crucifix. You can't miss it. It's just over and over again in the background of the scene. Crucifix, crucifix, crucifix. Um, and, and then... Uh, right before Franz begins to really suffer because of his refusal, he, there's this scene, and it's in a church, in the small church, and he has a conversation with a painter, and this painter who paints these beautiful, glorious cathedrals. And in the midst of the conversation, the, the painter is reflecting on his work, and he, he confesses to him, and he says, this is the painter, 
He says, I paint a comfortable Christ with a halo over his head, but how can I show what I haven't lived? Someday I'll paint the true Christ. Someday I'll paint the true Christ. And you know what's so interesting? I could be wrong, but from here on in the film, you don't see another crucifix. Why? Because Franz becomes the image of the crucified Christ. Do you see? In his weakness, in his suffering, in his faithfulness to God, he becomes the image of Christ to all who gaze upon him, to, to everyone that he encounters. Franz, it's in his, it's in his weakness. It's in his suffering. It's when he's at its, it's when he's at its in, his end. It's when it seems meaningless. It, it's there in that place that not only he knows Jesus, but he reveals them, reveals him to everyone around him, right? Um, for Paul, um, his weaknesses in ministry is a way for the power of God to be displayed to the world, yes. Um, For Paul, the cross and the resurrection are the pattern through which he sees his entire life, yes. But also, for Paul, the ups and downs of his ministry, the, the weaknesses that he experiences, these are actually experiences of God. It's there that he meets Jesus. It's there that he knows Jesus, right? Look at our verses. Paul says that he's Carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Carrying in his body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may be manifested. Given over to death. That's what Paul says about his life. So that what? So that the life of Jesus may be manifested. So Paul in his frailty. Paul in his failures. Paul in his sufferings. Paul through his anxieties. Paul in his public shaming. What does he see? All of that. He sees all of that is um, experiences in which he identifies with Jesus. Does that make sense? Experiences in which he knows him more deeply. That's how he sees it. But then also, in every escape, in every encouragement after anxiety, in every convert, in every report that things are happening in the churches, in every moment where he looks upon Jesus and he sees the beauty, he experiences what? He experiences Jesus. He experiences his resurrection power. He knows it more deeply. You see, the painter in the movie can't show forth um, uh, Christ, who he is, the, the real Christ, the true Christ, because he does not know suffering, because he does not know weakness. You see, because he doesn't know Christ in his suffering, the painter can't know Christ in the power of his resurrection. But for the one who suffers for Jesus, for the one who is weak for Jesus, for the one who fails for Jesus, they experience him. And not only experience Jesus in his weakness, but experience the power of his resurrection. Experience him. Have you experienced the power of the resurrection this morning? Have you experienced the God who uses the weak to shame the strong? Have you experienced the God who when you are at your limits shows his greatness? Have you experienced a God who brings life from the dead?
this is the reality of Jesus. Is your heart to know God? Is your desire to know Jesus more deeply? Have you ever, have you ever prayed that? The good news is that through your ministry, and this is hard to swallow, but through the weakness of your ministry, you will see Jesus. And then also, the good news this morning is if the desire of your heart is for the world to see Jesus, if the desire of your heart is for others to see him, as, as, a, as someone who has done youth ministry for so many years, there are so many moments where I sit there and I say, my desire is just that these kids would see the beauty of Jesus because I, I don't know how they're going to make it. Have you been there? With a, with a friend? With a family member? With a sibling? Let's get real. With a spouse? Is your desire for the world to know and see Jesus then I have good news this morning because God will do that through the weakness that you display in your ministry. Let me end with this. Um, I don't know what you're hearing uh, as we reach the end of this. Let me say a guess. I I wonder if for some of us this all feels a little grandiose. I wonder if for some of us this feels helpful for pastors, helpful for missionaries, helpful for a certain group of people that are really involved in the church, but for me, it's, it's, it's not. All I see is my life being so ordinary. All I see is my life being so plain. Whether it's through your call to raise kids, whether it's for your call to the business world, to be a teacher, whatever it may be, does this feel a little distant from you this morning? Does this feel like it's reserved for the select few who are given a ministry and called by God? Let me encourage you with this. One of the stunning things in the movie, A Hidden Life, is throughout the movie, um, everybody tells the main character that no one will know his suffering. No one will see it. Everyone tells him his life is ordinary. Everyone tells him that his life is not noteworthy. Everyone tells him that he doesn't do anything. And they, they list off just a list of facts. This is why, this is why, this is why, this is why. Right? Uh, but the movie ends with a quote from George Eliot. And essentially what George Eliot says in the quote is that it is... Um, those who were forgotten, it is in the unhistoric acts of history, it is for those that live a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. It is there that God is at work. It is there that the power of Jesus is seen. Maybe for Franz, maybe for Paul, uh, maybe for us this morning, someone could look at it and say, what an ordinary, plain, unnoteworthy, untweetable life. But what if there's a different story? What if there's a different story about those who are not seen 
about those who contribute to unhistoric acts in history to those who live a hidden life? What if the day in and day out ministry for all of us at Shades Valley is the means that God is using to fix and bring healing and redemption to this broken, chaotic world? What if? What if he's doing it through your ministry? Amen.